to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Uh, Jesus, thank you for this space and for the time to connect and just to be in your presence. I thank you that you've been here with us this morning just so powerfully, and we ask that you would continue to speak and move and interact through us and with us, God, and that... Um, you might just transform us into the women and men that you long for us to be. So we're so grateful um, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 5, through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. We've been in this conversation examining essentially what's growing in our lives, and there's a metaphor that's often used throughout the scriptures of our lives being soil, that our heart is like soil, that our character is like soil. And so we've been asking the question is, what is growing from our soil? That your life, if it is like a garden, produces a certain type of fruit, and by examining the fruit, we can then see what's going on in the soil. If we don't like the fruit, then we can change the soil and start planting some new things to transform our experience here and now on this earth. And so we're, we're asking ourselves, what's thriving in my life? What's dying in my life? What can grow? What cannot grow as a result of the soil uh, in my heart? And... It's interesting because when people say, I'm stuck in life, ever said that before or thought it, like, hey, I just feel stuck, essentially that's a soil problem. Because it's not that you don't have what you need, it's not that what uh, is required isn't available to you, it's usually that there's no place for it to grow in your life. And so in order to have forward movement or in order to have something new in your life, we have to take a look at what's taking place in the soil. See, because if bitterness is in the soil, it's impossible to live in abundance. If judgment is in your soil, it's impossible to live into a space of creativity. If you find yourself with entitlement in your soil, it's impossible to live in a space of wholeness. And if you find yourself with arrogance in your soil, it's impossible to have the courage you need to fully step forward. And so the question that we have to ask is what's taking place at a soil level and what's growing from that. See, what the scriptures are telling us here in Galatians is that when our soil, when our, the soil of our lives is healthy, when it's connected to the spirit, there are really powerful things that naturally grow from your life. That you as a human being were actually designed to grow. That you were made to grow things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, even self-control. Yes, for some of you, self-control. And all of those you were actually made to produce. They were made to just flow freely from you, and they naturally start 
produced, being produced, when we, like Lauren said earlier, are abiding, when we are just connected to our divine source, all of those things start to grow from us, in us, through us, around us. We don't have to strive for it. So I know a lot of, a lot of people in our community are, are like really driven people. And so it's really easy to hear this conversation like, a, oh great, I get to go now be love and I get to go do some joy and I get to go figure out peace and I get to go have a patience coach, right? That's not this, right? Your job is just to go, how do I stay connected to the source? That's it. And then from that, your soil becomes healthy, and from healthy soil, everything else comes from it. Now, the first week I talked to you about our tragic mandarin plant that, uh, that grew in our backyard, and I tried to transplant the thing, and now it's dead in firewood somewhere. But this, like two weeks ago, I thought, I'm gonna go replace the mandarin tree to redeem the story, right? And they didn't have mandarin trees, but they had avocado trees. And so <laughs> I got an avocado tree. Now, it's gonna take three years to produce avocados, and I'm okay with that, because in three years, Everyone's invited to guacamole. But here's the thing. Until then, that avocado tree is just abiding. It's literally hanging out in a pot in my backyard. And I, my job is just to water it and to give it the nutrients that it needs, get it the right amount of sunlight. It does all the work. And let me tell you, that avocado tree is not stressed out right now about producing avocados. It's not over there going, oh no, what if they're too small? What if they're too big? What if they're not tasty enough? Well, I, well you know, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not concerned. They're just like, hey, I'm here, my job is to abide, and the fruit will eventually come. And the same thing happens with our lives, that when we just stay connected, the fruit eventually comes, and our job is just to stay in there and to move in that space. Today is an interesting day, and I don't know if you know that it's an interesting day, but today, marks the two-year anniversary of when the pandemic officially started, March 13th, 2020. In fact, March 13th, 2020 was the very first Sunday gathering that we had to close our doors due to state, local, national mandates. And I remember the week like, like it was yesterday, because we were in our old building, and I came out of my office, and I said, Leslie, and she came out of her office, and we met in the hallway, and I said, churches are starting to close their doors this Sunday. Like, they're going online. And we're both like, that's crazy. No, why would anyone do that, right? And so we're like, we would never, we would never do that. And so... I got on a plane to go to Disney World. I had a Disney World trip planned that weekend. I get on the plane, and as I'm flying over there, I get a notification that Disney World is closing down. Now, I have three days, and it's closing on the third day, so I'm like, I'm taking advantage of this, right? Like, we're gonna ride all the rides. But I don't know if you remember in the early days of the pandemic, it was like the wild, wild west. There was like rumors, and you had no idea what was happening, and you thought for sure that the National Guard was about to shut down everything. Remember those days? They were wild days, right? <laughs> And I have a friend who was supposed to join me at Disney World, and her husband is very high up in the Pentagon, and he, she gets notification that night that the, uh, that the government was going to close down the Florida border, and anyone within Florida was gonna be stuck there for at least three months, and we needed to get out immediately. So we like huff it down to Orlando, get the last tickets out, we're flying, I mean, I'm in dirty underwear, everything, and we're like flying. <laughs> flying home to LAX because I'm like, we got to get out of here, right? And then the world spiraled into chaos after that. And all the things that we thought this would never happen, happened for a long time, right? In the middle of all of that. And the, the world around us spiraled into chaos. And there, there's the tragedy of all the lives that have been lost in the last, 10, last two years, feels like 10 years. But here's the thing that I think is also 
the tragedy in the last few years. The, the other tragedy, not just the lives lost, is the, is the humanity that's been lost in the midst of all of this. And I was trying to figure out as a wordsmith how to say this eloquently, but in the last two years, we as a species have just become mean. And I think that's part of the tragedy of this, is watching a, a group of people just break down into, into meanness. And it seemed like there were, for like two years, and to, to today, there, there seems to be nothing that doesn't come up that doesn't provoke meanness. It seems like every topic that gets brought up, whether it's masks or closures or mandates or vaccine or Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter or All Lives Matter or Tiger King or Afghanistan or the border crisis or boosters or schools, I mean, you just name it and it's instantly like, rah, right? And it provokes this, this anger and this meanness in people. And look, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be passionate about any of these subjects or you shouldn't have an opinion or that you shouldn't like, care about these things. But how they have been had may be equally tragic to all of the physical lives that have been lost. Because there's a lot of humanity that's been lost in the middle of that. And even notice if you find yourself thinking, yeah, that other side, they've been really mean. Maybe, right? <laughs> See, even when we hear this, we're like, that's not me. That's them that have been mean. And it's them that have been rude over there. And it's so easy to go there, isn't it? And it's, it's interesting because it's easy to blame the circumstances when we find ourselves um, in that space of meanness. <laughs> it's easy to say, well, I'm, I'm under stress, and life's going crazy, or you know, I, I had this thing happen to me, or the world shut down. See, here's the thing that I'm actually convinced of, is that the pandemic didn't create the vile responses that we've been so used to. It just revealed what's already been growing under the soil. That, that humanity was like put under pressure, and that when put under pressure, things that are inside come outside, like a popcorn kernel. And so it wasn't like the pandemic created the viciousness that we've experienced, is that the pandemic exposed the vicious, vile meanness that already existed inside of humanity. It just revealed it. And I love this passage in, in Romans chapter two. Romans chapter two is actually one of my, one of a favorite passage of mine because Paul is writing to the religious people and the followers of Jesus that are in Rome at the time in the book of Romans. That's, what, that's who he's writing to. And he, he starts in Romans one about how, ta how awful those people are. Like he literally starts the, starts the whole book off about, let me just tell you about how awful, mean, rude, vile those people are, right? And I mean, even, how, even what he writes, he, he's like, he talks about all the people who are rejecting God. And this is how he writes it out in Romans 1, 29. He says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of eve, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. See, it's not even their evil. They invent new ways of doing evil, right? They disobey their parents. <laughs> they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they do only continue to do those things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, I imagine at the time, all these nice religious people sitting in church were reading this going, yeah, get them, Paul, right? Get them, get them. This is the equivalent, you know, when you see a meme that's on your side that's attacking the other side, and you're like, oh, burn, right? This is the equivalent of that. And so Paul's like, 
yeah, all those people out there that invent new ways of being wicked, that disobey their parents. And then he says this in Romans 2, like the very next beat, he says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do some things, you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? I imagine at that point everyone was like, ooh, right? Like an ouch in that moment. See, what I love is what, what, Paul, what Paul makes so crystal clear here is God's heart for how he engages the transforming of humanity. He makes it clear the heart. See, because here's the thing. When God looks out at us in our mess, he is not interested in judging us into change. He's not interested in like raining down his judgment so we're like, oh man, I'm under such oppression. I need to change somehow. He, he, he does not force us into change. He doesn't like force circumstances so you finally have to change in the middle of that. He, he does not condemn us into change so that we feel so guilty and overwhelmed by hopelessness and how disgusting and ugly we are that we'll finally change in the middle of this. See, how many of you have ever been in one of those situations where you've been forced into change? or you've been judged into changed, or you've been shamed into changed, or you've been resented into change. See, because whenever someone attempts to change us or we attempt to change someone else with those methods, it always creates resentment towards the person who's attempting to impose the change on us, right? I mean, let's be honest. How many of you have parents that you're a little bit like, I'm a little bit resentful of the way they tried to change me, right, in, in all of this? See, what I love is that when God looks out at humanity, his chosen method of transformation is kindness. That when he says, here's when I see things going awry, my, the method that I choose is kindness because kindness leads us, not forces us to repentance. It leads us to change. It creates wide open pathways to desire change, to, to long to step into new lives, to, to imagine new possibilities, and kindness opens those up for us. Have you ever been around someone who's, who's like exceptionally kind? I, I mean, it, my wife is exceptionally kind. Uh, like she, like look, she's not a saint, but she's exceptionally kind, all right? <laughs> And, and the thing is, is that she is kind to everyone she meets. In fact, I've never met someone that she's not kind to. She struggles with people. She struggles with some of you. Um, but but there, there's not anyone that I have never seen her be kind to. In fact, when we were dating, when we were first dating, I would come home to my apartment and she would be sitting in the living room with like homeless people having lunch. And I'd be like, honey, what, what are you doing? She's like, oh, they needed lunch, and Subway was busy, so I thought I'd just bring them over to your apartment. I'm like, great, that's awesome. But that's the kindness that she constantly exhibits towards people. And here's the thing about Marla's kindness. It's both shocking and beautiful all at the same time. And sometimes it's annoying. Because nine times out of 10, we'll be in an argument, or we'll be in a fight, or we'll be in some type of conflict with one another, and she'll pause, and she'll just go, you know what, you're right, you're right, would you forgive me? And I'm like, don't do that, don't do that. I know what you're doing, right? <laughs> don't do that. 
And then she'll just account for everything that she did and, and say, hey, why don't, we, why don't we take a break and let's talk about this. I'm like, don't do that, right? Because all of a sudden, all the energy goes out of it. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I, have, I have five more really good points that I was about to get out. And then you just throw some kindness in there. And I'm like, what am I supposed to say into that? Because it's in the moment when kindness is thrown into the mix. When kindness is introduced into the mess, it's that moment that I realize how wrong I am for digging in my heels. And it gives me space to pause and go, oh, let me consider where I'm at. And it causes me to soften and notice where I'm missing it. And this is what God does to us when he sees us living a lesser life than we were designed to live. Living is less than human that he dreamed for us to be. His first move is kindness, it's grace, it's mercy, it's benevolence. And when he leads us with this, it's one of the most powerful forces that calls us up because it removes all the power from our strategies, our power plays, when kindness is introduced into it. We just finished our parenting workshop, which was awesome. We had an amazing time. Yeah, it was really, really incredible. And uh, we use this material called Love and Logic. And in the Love and Logic material, one of the very first things that we teach in there, it's like the core principle to everything. It's called the stop, drop, and roll principle. And basically, when you are about to go batshit on your kid, right? Oh, I said the word. That's not okay. All right. (laughs) But anyways, we're getting real here today. Sorry, Grandpa, who's watching on live stream. when, when you are about to go crazy on your children <laughs> and, uh, and you're about to lose it, right? In that moment, we, we teach parents, go brain dead. Go brain dead. Don't say anything, go brain dead because your brain is gonna want to fight back or say something or yell or whatever it may be. And so we say like, hey, go brain dead, step one. Step two, this is really good information, you won't have to pay for this, all right? Step two, step two, drop your one-liner. And our one-liner that every single parent that has been through this workshop knows is some type of kind, empathetic statement. And so it sounds like, oh man, you made that decision. Right? (laughs) Oh, buddy. Wow. Right? And then from there, you engage the conversation from that space. Because here's the thing, and we teach parents like to, to, to do this in the shower, do it in the car, do it at work all the time, so it just becomes automatic. Because here's the thing, is that when you respond in a moment where emotions are high and there are power butts about to happen with one another, that in that moment, if you can inject kindness into it, it actually switches off the part of the brain that wants to defend, and it opens up the part of the brain that opens up creative possibilities. I mean, think about it. When people come at you, right, yelling or like in a power argument, your part of your brain that's like, I need to defend myself, just flares up. There's not a lot of like, oh, let me consider my possibilities right now, right? There's just like, oh, I'm I'm sorry. uh, Let me tell you why. Let me explain. I'll excuse or you're the bad one or whatever it may be. But kindness actually switches on the part of the brain that says, oh, let me be with this person, And let me consider what I've done and consider all the creative possibilities that are available. And see, this is why God sees kindness as one of the most powerful strategies for transforming the human heart and mind because it opens up spaces for creative possibilities and it closes down the need to hide, run, and defend ourselves. 
Because God is not interested. Yeah, you can clap for that. It's a good one. Because God is not interested in a relationship where you are constantly needing to defend or protect or hide yourself. He's saying, look, I would much rather just be with you in the mess and let my kindness move you towards something new than you feel like you constantly need to hide in all of this. It allows us to be with, it, with what is and to consider where we're going because kindness says this. It says, hey, I see you, and I'm still in. I see all the mess. I see all the places where we disagree. I see all the things where we're really different. But hey, I'm still in, and I'm not going anywhere. So I can be in it with you. There's no robe or gavel here. There's just an open heart and a cup of coffee ready to talk in the middle of all of this. And when I look at the fruit of the Spirit, at first glance, kindness seems so insignificant, doesn't it, in, in, the, in the order? It feels like the big ones are up front, like we get through love, joy, peace. Patience is probably a good one, right? And then we get to kindness. And it feels like everything else after that's kind of like, eh, we could throw some gentleness in and maybe some self-control. But, but it's like the big ones are front-loaded and then we get to this space called kindness and it feels like it's not as big as the other. But here's the thing, if kindness is literally what leads us to transform our hearts, that no other fruit of the Spirit does it say that this is what leads us to change then it would make sense that kindness is actually the catalyst for the human story. That kindness is actually the thing that transforms the narrative that we are living in, our hearts, our minds, our spirit, and it is kindness that will actually change the world around us for good if we're willing to abide long enough to have kindness transform us in the middle of this. See, I think we have this idea of kindness that it's just like this warm, fluffy thing, right? That we're just kind, right? Even the word's just simple, kind, right? It's, it's, it, 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 no one's like in a, in a war, they're not like, what we need is some kindness, right? They're, 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 it seems like it, it, it's small, but I'd like for you to actually consider that kindness is an attitude that is like a key to every locked door, it's the key that opens almost every door around us, or it has the potential to open every unlocked door. See, have you noticed that anything can almost be said out of kindness, and it creates space to at least hear it? Yeah. Like, you can say, oh, man, I know you worked so hard on this meal, and I, I, just, I just don't care for it, right? You can say, I mean, it hurts still, but it's kind of like, the, I get it. You're not just being a jerk over there, right? Or like, man, I really love your passion for singing, but those, aren't, those notes aren't actually on key, right? <laughs> or like, I, I, lo I would love to lend you money, but I notice that you buy a venti frappuccino every day, and that's a lot of money, right? And so maybe not lending you money right now <laughs> in the middle of that, or hey, I'm sorry, I, I really can't support that decision, but we're still doing lunch on Friday, right? I, I mean, you can almost say anything and, and it turns out the right way. Jesus was the master of this. And I love that there's this moment that, that many people have read through in John chapter eight, verse one, it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? 
They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, but Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger, and when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, hey, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left with a woman standing, still standing there, and Jesus straightened her up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. This is one of the more powerful moments in the life of Jesus where his, his heart really comes through. And it, it actually isn't really profound what he says because uh, this is in a lot of sermons and it's in a lot of messages. It's been said before in this, but... It in of itself, how he says what he says is a profound statement on kindness and its power to unlock doors and transform the world around us. See, the thing that is so powerful about Jesus is that he leads with compassion and empathy. He leads with, hey, where, where are the people here condemning you? No one's condemning you. He leads with kindness. He steps into that space. And then he ends with this instruction to go and leave your life of sin. And here's the thing. Both of those statements are extreme acts of kindness. See, because kindness is living with mercy and empathy and releasing judgment. But kindness also compels us to share the truth with people in order to set them free in the middle of this. See, if I had the cure from cancer and I just told someone, you're going to be okay. Right? That would be cruel, wouldn't it? So don't be fooled. Kindness actually has the hard conversation. And it says the hard, conver- says the hard things. In fact, usually what we call kindness is actually nicety. And nicety is actually just ignoring the person and what's needed over there. And there's a big difference between kindness and nice. Now here's the thing. Both of these statements have the potential to be kind, but they in and of themselves are not that kind. It's the attitude and the intention behind them that creates the kindness or kills this. Because with Jesus, no one has condemned you, will always come before go and leave your life of sin. He never leaves with go and leave your life of sin unless you're arrogant, unless you're unwilling to step into kindness. And then he might lead with that. But when we find ourselves stuck, when we find ourselves in a space where we are living less than the life we were designed for, he will always, always lead with, has no one, is anyone here to condemn you in the middle of that? See, ironically, the message of so many followers of Jesus hasn't changed from the message of these Pharisees that bring this woman. See, the message has been, go leave your life of sin And then perhaps God and us will consider removing the judgment that we have on you. And then we pride ourselves on speaking the truth while missing the heart. And we develop all kinds of theological statements then as to why people aren't repenting. Like, well, they just aren't chosen. They're not the elect. Or... God's hardened their hearts, or it's just an evil age that we live in. Shame on us for removing the kindness of God and then condemning those who are responding to our judgment in the conversation. See, when we refuse to live live a life filled with kindness, life defined with kindness, life moved by kindness, we find ourselves living in contempt of God's kindness, 
That's what Paul says. He says, or do you find yourself in contempt of the kindness that God shows to us? Look, let's be honest. How many, let's just like, can we get real for a minute? How many of you, when, you're, when you see your enemies on Instagram get something nice, you're so angry, right? Don't act like that doesn't happen, right? You see that person that you don't like and they get a new car and you're like, they probably went broke getting that car. I hope they crash, right? I hope, I hope they're okay, but that just maybe they crash, right? Maybe, Lord, just let them, let them do a fender bender. Not a, not a T-bone, just a fender bender, right? Or they get the new job and you're like, wait till their employees find out, right? Or they, or they get the new friends, right? They get all the new friends and they're like, wait till their friends know it's gonna be a giant disaster or it's gonna blow up even bigger. Let's just be honest. There's, there's a weird part of us that loves to hate on our enemies when something good happens to them. And so scrolling through Instagram, they get the new car, they get the vacation, they have friends. And we get angry because here's the thing. They don't deserve that kindness, right? They don't deserve that blessing. They don't deserve all of that, but we do because we're so good, right? We're so good. They, they don't deserve any of that because we're so forgiving. We're so wise, right? We, we would never do what they do over there. We, 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 we are so smart. We are so deserving of the kindness that we have been given. And it drives the anger towards those who God actually chooses to bestow his kindness on, which P.S. is everyone, See, it's the entitlement and the arrogance that blinds us from the reality that we have been and will be and are continually needing God's kindness in our lives probably more than anyone else around us. It blinds us from seeing that we actually are reliant upon God's kindness in our own lives to keep us breathing here and now in this space because any one of us, if our lives were just revealed it would probably show that we are deserving of God's anger, that we are actually deserving of God's judgment, that we are actually in some way deserving of God's punishment, and yet he chooses to withhold all of that and says, I lead with kindness. And the more we, we live in that space of entitlement to kindness from God and live in contempt of the kindness that he shows those others out there, it far worsens our brokenness because we don't see our need to repent, our need to change, our need to transform. See, in other words, it's hard to be angry with the kindness God has shown to others when we come to the realization that we have actually been given the same undeserved kindness and that it is his kindness that covers us and allows us to move forward in this. See, on the flip side, when we live a life of kindness to others, it's a declaration that we are actually in touch with a God who has been so kind to us. We're actually in touch with the darkness that his light has covered. We're in touch with the wounds that that his hope has healed. We are in touch with the depths of our brokenness that he has covered for us when we are deserving of his anger and judgment. And so we are able to abide in him. And as we abide in him and we recognize more and more and more the amount of kindness that God has shown us, from that springs up kindness towards others. Because we recognize that we're actually the same. That there is not an us and them. There's just us, and that God is lavishing his kindness on us. 
so that we might actually be freed to be transformed in the middle of this. So it makes sense that kindness would grow out of our lives as we connect to the Spirit of God who has shown us kindness. I love this passage in Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 3. It's this beautiful moment where the Israelites have been kind of cast out and forgotten, essentially, or it feels like. And this is what Jeremiah, God, through Jeremiah, says to his people. It says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels, and you will go out and dance the joy, dance with joy, and again you will plant vineyards on the hill of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and eat their fruit. There will be a day when watchmen will cry out on the hills of Ephir and come, let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. This is what the Lord says, sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations, make your praise heard and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring them from the land, from the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, the expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping and they will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on level paths where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. See, God is saying that I don't care what your life looks like right now and the consequences of all of that. What he is saying is that my kindness will not fail and I will draw you back in if you will allow it to to move your life. See, and the powerful thing is that as God's unfailing kindness kept moving, it actually changed the landscape of a city and a nation and a people. See, it is only the kindness of God growing within us that will continue to transform nations. It will transform cities, it will transform neighborhoods, it will transform your legacy and your family because that's what kindness does, it transforms. It opens up space for repentance and renewal. It removes offense. It opens doors. It creates neighbors. It serves others. Divine kindness will always lead to transformation. See, it would make sense that we are also living in a generation that is having trouble changing. Like we're just trying to figure out how do we, tr- how do we transition? How do we adapt? How do we, how do we move within all of this See, maybe what we don't need is more strategic leadership or another book on how to do things or better philosophies. See, what if we just needed some kindness that would transform everything around us? See, the beautiful thing is that the more I remain in God, his spirit is the one that will provoke me to kindness as I recognize the kindness that I have received. And this is what might soften the world into something new. I want to end on a a culturally dangerous note. About a year ago, we were in the car and we were late to humanity group and we pulled up in front of the loft and I get my four-year-old Jackson out of the car and we're late and we're running and I'm trying to get him out and he looks up and he says, Dad, what's that rainbow flag that's hanging above the building? 
And it was hanging out in front of our, our friends club, 340 out there. And I was like, oh man, I was not expecting to have this conversation with my four-year-old right now as we're late walking into, this club, into, the, into the humanity group. And I'm thinking, God, what do I say? And I, I, have a, I have a promise with him that I will never dismiss his questions. And so I paused as a dad and I was like, all right, how do I answer this questions in 30 seconds, God, right now before we enter into a humanity group? And I felt like God just did a download, which he occasionally does, which is so gracious in those moments. And I looked at Jackson and I said, that symbol is from the Bible. And what that symbol is, it's a promise that God will always choose kindness over judgment. That, that symbol is, is a promise that God will always choose mercy over anger. And he will always choose to lead with compassion and empathy. And he was like, okay, cool, and walked off. And ever since then, I thought, man, what a perfect symbol to be flying at every event like that. And to be honest, as, as a man, as like a mere mortal, I, I struggle with the conflict between the church and the LGBTQ community because it feels like there's this mountain between us and we see the world so differently at times. There's, there's conversations around sexual ethics and what does the scripture say and God and what does love look like and, and what does repentance look like and what does acceptance look like and what does truth look like. And, and the mountain to me as just a mortal feels uh, insurmountable to be honest with you. And when I think about what's needed to transform all of that, I don't know. I don't know. And anyone that tells you they do, I think, is simplifying it. But what I do know is that whatever may come that will transform that relationship will be drenched in kindness. It will be led with kindness. It will be led with compassion and empathy. And it will be led with a symbol on both sides that says God chooses compassion and kindness and mercy over judgment. Because it is the kindness of God that leads all of us to repentance and it is repentance that will change the world. So let's be kind in him. Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray that you would make us aware of your kindness that covers us. God, that you would even just allow us to feel the weight of our own hopelessness in our own lives and the inability to do anything about it. And that if we were just to replay the tapes of our lives and the, the narrative that we've been telling, that it would probably be incredibly deserving of your anger or your punishment or your judgment or fill in the blank. But that it is your kindness that keeps flowing that leads us to further repentance, to change, to transformation, to movement, God. And God, I pray this morning that 
that you would fill us with a deep sense of how much kindness we have received from you. And that in that we might be provoked to, to be kind in the deepest sense of the word to the world around us and that our kindness might unlock doors that have been closed that never needed to have been closed, God. That it would cause us to lower our offense and to lower our defense and that we would open ourselves up to the possibilities of the new thing that you are longing to usher into this world. And for those of you in the room who have not yet connected to Jesus or online with us, this is a divine kindness. This isn't like, hey, the five steps on how to be a kinder person. This is just connecting to the God who is kind and who has moved us with his kindness. And so this type of living cannot be done apart from him. I wish there was other news, but there isn't. But the beautiful thing is that he has come for you so that you could experience kindness and in turn become a kind person. And so this morning, if you've not yet connected to him and maybe you've been away for a long time or maybe you've even seen a God through the lens of he's angry at me or he's, he's frustrated or he's resentful towards me or he's judgmental of me, God's just wanting to release that image of him so you could step into something new. And so this morning, if that's you, if you want to connect with him for the first time, I want you just to pray this prayer with me. If you're online, you can click that button that says, today I choose to follow Jesus. But I just want you to pray, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I am broken and have been and are in need of your kindness. I thank you that you died for me and you came back to life so that I could live. So I make you my Lord. I receive your kindness and your love so that I might live a life infused by your kindness. I thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.